0: Hey everybody, I'm really excited about our communicator today. He's been on our staff for 17 years. He's done a remarkable job. His name is Dave Allgeyer. And Dave's kind of grown up here. He's one of my oldest friends. And I'm telling you, I love this man. I love his grasp of theology. I love his love for the scripture. And I love the way he lives it out every day. You know, Dave is coming up on a great anniversary here. Late Church is celebrating their 10th anniversary this year the last 10 years, Lake Church has been in downtown Savannah, reaching out to college students and young adults and people who love college students and young adults. They have a remarkable ministry. Uh, Dave has just done a fabulous job, and and I love this brother. I, I appreciate him and his ministry so much. He's got a great wife, Mickey. He's got three beautiful daughters. Dave is living the life he preaches about every day, and we are blessed to have him preach for us today. So let's give a warm Savannah Christian welcome to our friend, Pastor Dave Allgaier. Right on, so as you heard, my name is David Algar, and I have come all the way out here to be with you from the foreign mission field of downtown Savannah, Georgia. Yeah. And I have found uh, that we have some stuff in common, the humidity in my land is the same as yours, so I actually feel comfortable being here. I want to welcome all the campuses uh, with us right now, Effingham is with us, and East is with us, Hello, and Statesboro is with us, and even uh, Lay Church is with us right now. Now, uh, as you heard from that announcement, um, we celebrated our 10th anniversary uh, last week. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And, and we celebrated it well. We, we, did, we did a lot of fun stuff. We did a lot of good stuff. We did weird stuff. We celebrated it really well. It, it, it was great. Uh, one of the strangest things for me personally when I look back on that time and I look at photos and things like that is how different I personally looked 10 years ago. Look at this. <laughs> See how I had the goatee back then? See how? So, listen, um, we started Late Church, our church started Late Church uh, in order to reach people and be near people who were far from God, and that's why we have started all of our campuses, and we also started it in order to love the fatherless and the widow, and, and those things are happening, and we praise God for that, and God is, God is good, and God is the one who causes the growth, and he deserves the credit, and, and what we say down there is we're just we're just grateful to, uh, to be with him in that journey and what he does, so it's been a really good thing. Now, we're in this series called Road Trip, and basically what we get to do uh, as preachers coming out here is to share a scripture that really, you know, we really like or, or, or has impacted us. And I want to share a scripture with you from the book of Genesis. I love the book of Genesis. I love the story that happens in Genesis chapter 22. You can go ahead and kind of get that ready in your Bible and turn to that so that we're ready to go when we get there. This is a really strange story. It's one of the strangest stories in the Bible, and it is a story of extreme faith. In fact, this is the, this is the most... <laughs> extreme faith story there is in the entire Bible. So it's a story about faith and how faith works. Living by faith, just to give us a definition right off the bat, is primarily about trusting God in practical ways in our lives, especially in times, and this is a key, when we don't know how God has planned to provide for us. And, and that right there is the problem every one of us in here have with faith that's the problem we have with faith is the order in which it works we're called to obey first and then god provides we're called to obey often not knowing how because god hasn't disclosed how he is going to provide and if we could just switch the order of those two things you know he provides first and then we obey we would all be a lot godlier now everybody here has um has a story everybody here can relate to not doing something because you did not know how, how you were going to be provided for, or you did something after you found out how you were going to be provided for. When I think about this, I think way back in junior high, the first time I went rock climbing, and you know, you're you're junior high, you think you got it, you know, you're like, ah, it's no big deal, rock climbing, no big deal. So they hook you up to a rope, and I'm in the mountains uh, near Mount Rainier, I'm from Seattle, And, uh, you know, I got this. I start climbing, climbing, climbing until you're like 40 feet up and then you're like, I don't got this, you know, and you're climbing, climbing, climbing and you're really scared. And then I got to this point um, on this particular climb where you can't just keep going. You actually have to jump. Not, Not like a gigantic, you know, Born identity jump, but I mean, just like a a little, you know, you just have to jump up to this ledge and, and put your feet over here. And and, and the guide said, "Hey, uh, right there, you ha-, He's yelling at me. You have to jump. And I was like, "There's no way, dude. I'm going to jump." And, and 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 listen, the reason the reason I said that was because the smallest guy in the youth group was the one holding my rope. His name is His name is Ryan. He's never going to see this podcast message, so. I'm not even changing the names of the story. His name is Ryan. He was the smallest guy in the youth group. And I just yelled down to the guide. I said, how are you going to hold me? Ryan's holding the rope. And he yelled back up. He explained how. He said, look, the rope, he yelled, the rope goes up over the pulley. That takes some of the weight off. The rope comes back down. It goes around Ryan's waist. That takes some of the weight off. And I'm holding the rope. The guide said he was holding the rope, too. So I'm looking down. I'm like, okay. And I jump and I don't make it. Okay. Uh, But, 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 obviously, the rope held me, right? Here I am. Here I am today. The rope held me. Now, now, why, why did I jump? I jumped because I knew how I was going to be provided for. I knew how Uh, The provision was going to come. That's something that we all want to have. And like I said, we'd probably all be a lot more godly if the order of faith was switched, if the way God delighted in doing it was to provide first and then have us trust him. But that's not what he does. He calls us to trust him, not in knowing, putting our trust in how it's going to happen. You know, because it, all of us would do that. God, you know, I'll give, just, just give me, like, a whole bunch of money first, and then I'll give you, give you some extra, God. Give me a bunch of money, I'll give you some extra. Uh, God, I will cut this ungodly relationship off. Just bring me a better-looking girl first, you know, so, you know, and then I will do your will, God. I'll, I'll do it, you know, I'm with you. I'll end this sin, God. Just tell me first how you're going to provide for me, you know, how I'm going to get through this, God. Even salvation. Even putting your faith in Christ, and there's, there's people in the room who are like this, you know, uh, you've asked this question, God, why don't you just show up? Why don't you just provide, you know, just this total proof for me, and then I will put my faith in you, right? So we would like to have that order, provide first, God, and then, then I will obey. But God delights in us putting our trust in him, not putting our trust in knowing how, not putting our trust in, in knowing how. Knowing, though, that God knows how. Knowing that God knows how. God knows how to provide, and we're trusting in him. Now, if there's ever been a story where it would have been good for the guy to know how God was going to provide, it is this story that we're going to read right now. It's the story of Abraham and Isaac. So hopefully you're in Genesis 22. Let me explain a couple things first as we get into this. As you know, we, we talked about this a couple years ago, When you read especially the Old Testament texts, there is normally in those texts two things going on at the same time. There's what's called the upper story, there's different names for this, and the lower story. The lower story tends to be the things in life you know, that God is teaching us at the time. You know, here's how faith operates and here's what God is calling you to do and the the examples of that. You know, what's happening on earth and what's, you know, how God's directing our lives. The upper story is the the meta story of salvation. It's the one big story in the Bible from Genesis Genesis to Revelation that is about Jesus Christ. The Old Testament is about Jesus Christ also. The whole thing is about Jesus the upper story. Both things happen at the same time normally in the Old Testament text. And this text is really fun because you and I will see one of the texts where it is so apparent how that happens. It is, it is fascinating to see both things happening at the same time. It is, it is crystal clear when this happens. Now, this scripture is about Abraham. If you don't know who Abraham is, that's okay. He lived 400 years before Abraham. Israel became a nation. God God created the the, the nation of Israel through the line of Abraham. So he's the big, you know, grandfather of the nation. And God created the nation of Israel through Abraham. So the Israelites became a nation through Abraham's son Isaac, and the Arab nations became a nation through his son Ishmael, Abraham's son Ishmael. So that's how that happened. Now um, what's happening here is in our story, Abraham's already over 100 years old. And if you remember, uh, what God did was, and, and his wife Sarah's 90 years old, what God did was he told them at this time, I'm going to give you a son, Together, you, Abraham, and Sarah, and, and through that son, I am going to bless the world. I'm going to create a great nation through them, but I'm going to bless the world. And of course, that ultimate blessing ended up being Jesus. You know, he's from the line of Abraham. And so, that they, this was like a crazy thing to say. Abraham's 100, Sarah's 90, they have no children. But they believed him. So, so what happened is nothing for about 20 years, nothing happened. It, it, and, you know, I'm sure it would have seemed like to Abraham and Sarah, a uh, God forgot about his promise. And maybe they went through some times of uncertainty. That happens to all of us, you know, uh, with things. You might be in one of those times right now where, you know, wishing God, you know, would act now, but he has his timing. And then about 20 years later, Sarah becomes pregnant with Isaac. And then you can, you know, imagine what happens. In their, the, the joy of, you know, being that old and wanting a son, a child their whole lives, they, they get a child. And then, and then what happens in the meantime, you know, Abraham raises this son and they do all the father-son stuff together He teaches them to hunt, you know, teaches them all these things and just, you know, wow, amazing. About 13, and we're not really sure the exact time, but between 13 and 18 years later, here's what happens. And you have to know all that backstory because there's so much emotion so much emotion behind this. 13 to 18 years later, when Isaac's 13 to 8, somewhere in that range, here's what happens. Genesis 22, verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, now listen to how he says it, because he doesn't, he, he, everything is said in this text in a particular way, and You'll notice in the scriptures, the details are really important. You always have to ask, why did it give that detail? Sometimes they seem random or unimportant, and they never are. Listen to how God says it. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. He doesn't just say, take your son. He says, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. I mean, after all this time, after, after not having a child, after having the joy of this child and, and being with him, you know what Abraham's saying and Sarah's saying. Anything but this, anything. Take everything else. Take everything we have. D- just don't ask for this. This is the one thing we don't want you to ask for. And it's so interesting, 2,000 years later, people will think about this text when they think about how God saved them. Because God gave his son, his only son, whom he loved for our sins. And you hear the words of God himself towards Jesus in those words. And that is what's happening. This is about faith. The story's about faith, teaching us about faith. But God is foreshadowing the great sacrifice that is coming through his son. And very few scriptures in the Bible, you know, show us that more than this. And you'll see as we go through this. Early the next morning. Underline that in your Bible. And don't be afraid of doing that. I hope you're not afraid of marking up your Bible. Look at all these tabs. Everything is like all marked up in here. Underline those words if you do that. Under, early the next morning. That little phrase. Abraham got up, saddled his donkey, took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. So just like that, early the next morning he goes. And there's no way if I was in that situation, I would have done it like that. I wouldn't have got up early the next morning. I would have delayed, delayed, delayed. You know, think about it. I mean, God is asking this extreme thing. Delay, delay, delay. You know, early, you know, a week from then or a month, whatever from then. Dave goes. You know, there's no way. But he goes early the next morning. Scripture tells us that for a reason. And there's an important reason Abraham does it. You know, of course, Abraham probably didn't sleep. He's He's a father. Probably didn't sleep that night. He's probably struggling with God in prayer. But then when it comes time to obey, he obeys. He does not delay obedience. And we all struggle with God's command sometimes. And the way that we end up obeying God, but not actually obeying God, often, is we say to God, yes, but later. God, I'll do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to give up that sin. Yes, but later. And there's a problem with that when we delay obedience. Later often turns into never. It really does. And the reality is, Satan doesn't need any of us to say to God, I'll never obey. He doesn't need that. He just needs us to say, I'll do it, but later. Because later often turns into never. It, it's, it sadly does. Later is disobedience. People who God has revealed the truth of his son to. And there's, and there's people like that in this room. There's people like that in the room at the other campuses. And, and I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm just telling you the reality. He's revealed the truth about his son to you. And you've said, yeah, I believe. But later, I'll make, I'll make a decision later. You know, or maybe he's revealed in your heart some sinful habit. You know, I've, I've done this. We've all done this yeah, God, I'll obey later. You know, I'll I'll take care of this later on. Just not right now, God. Or or even calling uh, us to serve, you know. Yeah, I'll do it. I want to serve. I want to make a difference. I'll do it later. If you want to examine your spirit and ask yourself, am I in a healthy place spiritually? Like, have I grown? One of the things you can say is, am I quick to obey? You can ask yourself that question that's a sign, that's a sign of faith and spiritual growth. Am I quick to obey? So back to the text. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, now listen to this, they... Stay here. He says to the servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship. Listen, and we will come back to you. We, we're going we're to worship and then we'll come back to you. Really? God told Abraham, sacrifice your son Isaac. What's going on here? Is Abraham kind of lying to Isaac just to get him over there, right? I mean, if you said, hey, dude, we're going to go over here, and by the way, you're going to be sacrificed. Are you crazy? You know, gone. You know, no. I mean, is he lying to, to Isaac? No, and, and he's not, and, and Jewish rabbis for, for 2,000 years struggled with this. Why did Abraham say it like that? And they came up with all kinds of theories about why he said it, but then in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, it is revealed to us why Abraham said this. Listen to this. It's amazing. By faith, Abraham. This is all the way in the New Testament when it looks back on the Old Testament. When God tested him, he offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Same, same words it uses in John three sixteen. You know, his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Now listen, Abraham reasoned, it tells us the reason why. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. So there it is. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. He didn't say, it doesn't say he, Abraham knew that God was going to stop him or that God would raise him from the dead. He knew this is nothing to God. He'll be able to keep his promise. I don't know how. He didn't know how, but he reasoned God could do it and that God knew how. And that's where Abraham put his faith. It's so interesting. He put his faith not in knowing how this was all going to work out. He put his faith in God and that God knows how to provide, that God would keep his promise. He put his faith in God. And so he says to those people, you say here, we will worship, and then we will come back to you. And this is a huge part of faith for us. Often, again, we don't know the manner in which God is going to provide for us in different ways. Right now, you could be feeling that. Something in your life where there's uncertainty. Or something, again, that you know God's calling you to do, and there's, it's, just, it's hard to do because you don't know the manner in which he's going to provide. And he doesn't say he will reveal that in advance. Why? Because he wants you to put your trust in him, not in knowing how. He wants you to put your trust in the fact that he knows. When God calls us to trust him, we don't need to know how he will provide. We just need to believe that God knows how to do it. God is saying, I know how, trust me. And Abraham had a lot of experience with this. This is long, a long time later in his life, and he had experienced again and again and again obeying God and God providing, obeying God and God providing. And that's what everyone here in this room, if you've been a follower of, of Christ for a while, that, that's your experience. Obeying God and God provides. Obeying God and God provides. God is always faithful. So he didn't know, Abraham didn't know how he, God was going to fulfill this promise, and, and of course it makes it harder to trust, but he trusted and so he said, we're going to worship, then we will come back to you. Now listen to this. Then he goes, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, and he placed it on his son Isaac, man. Underline that. And he himself carried the fire and the knife, and the two of them went on together. Look at this image of Isaac and Abraham. See, that, the, see the description that Abraham put the wood on his son Isaac? Who was going to be sacrificed, Isaac was somewhere between 13 and 18 years old, you wonder, why does it mention that detail, again in the text, that Abraham put the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac? The answer is because one day, another son, an only son, who is loved, will, <laughs> will have wood placed on him. And he will go all the way to the place of sacrifice. It is showing, God is showing his people, showing the world, so when it happens, they know. He's foreshadowing all this. Isaac spoke up, okay, finally, you know. He's figuring this out. And he said to his father Abraham, Father, you know, like, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied, Not yes, but yes, my son, you you see the love here. The fire and the wood are here, Dad, Isaac said. But where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, and he says something again that's really strange. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Why is that so strange? It's strange because God said he's going to sacrifice his son. He's told Abraham that he hasn't said he's going to deliver him. What's going on here? And, and here's the thing. Scholars actually have debated this for years and years and years, because the Hebrew phrase here is a little fuzzy. It's fuzzy in Hebrew. What I mean is that the word he uses here, and I put this in your note sheets, the word that is translated provide in Hebrew is in Hebrew, pronounced Elohim Yira'ah, which is translated normally in the Old Testament. In fact, hundreds and hundreds of times, this is how it's translated, God will see or God will discern. What is going on here? What is going on is that both things are happening at the same time, and this is a common thing in the Bible where a word is used that means two things at once. And let let me explain this, okay? First of all, Abraham is saying, God himself will discern. He will see. He will discern the lamb, Isaac, for the burnt offering. In other words, Isaac, I don't know where the lamb is. But God is here, Isaac, and he is watching. He sees. He will make the call. He discerns. Now think about what that means for Abraham, that he knows that about God. That in the midst of this uncertainty, in the midst of this trial, he knows that God sees. Think about what that means to you. Right now, you can think about something in your past, but right now, in the midst of uncertainty, if you're struggling, if you're suffering in some kind of way, it means everything that God sees. You and I are tempted to feel like, man, I'm alone in this, or God has abandoned me, otherwise I wouldn't feel that way. That's, these are lies from the devil, and we go through things in this life, and God sees, and God is with us, and he promises, one of the most common promises in the Bible, I will never leave you nor forsake you. If You're a child of God. He says again and again, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus repeats it, you know, I will be with you to the end of the age. If you're in the midst of a trial or suffering right now, God sees it. That's what you need to know. He is present. He is with you. He has not forgotten you. He will work in this, just like he does in this story. But the second thing is this. So the first thing, yeah, it does mean God will discern. That's why it makes sense. That is what Abraham's saying. But we all know, and this is the primary meaning of the word, and this is why it's translated like this, because of what happens in the future. Abraham is unknowingly prophesying about Jesus. And so he says, so we translate it, provide and not discern. Because 2,000 years later, God provides the lamb. John the Baptist sees Jesus coming, and he says, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there. He arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. See how far this is going? I mean, mean, couldn't God have... God, I mean, Abraham's demonstrated faith. Stop, you know? See how far this is going? And it's interesting here, too. Isaac never protests. We don't see him resisting here we don't know for sure what that looks like but think about isaac he knows his dad is godly and he doesn't resist he's like i don't know what's happening here i don't know why my dad's tying my hands and putting me on the altar but it's dad go ahead dad go ahead and do it i trust you then what happens does god go man that's far enough stop no he doesn't look what happens Then Abraham, he reached out his hand and he took the knife (laughs) to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. I mean, think of the relief when he says these next words. Here I am. Praise God. Thank you, God. Here I am, he replied do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld, and listen again, from me your son, your only son. Right there is a crystal clear picture of the faith that God delights in and how living by faith operates. It is at the point. Look, I don't like it any more than you, but it is a point of obedience when he's bringing down the knife that God provides. First we obey, then God provides. He delights in that because he calls us to trust in him. And it's not until Abraham goes all the way in obedience and then God shows up and he provides. It's the most amazing picture of faith, really, from a human being, in the Bible. And this is the reality that we live in our whole lives. This is how we're called to trust God. God, you've made it clear to me, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to trust in you. You're going to provide. Now, the reality of this law of faith, that it is the moment of obedience that the provision comes, is not lost on human history. Because when, when this picture of this scene in the bible is painted they don't paint it the way the text actually says it in fact if you look up all the you know famous paintings about abraham and isaac they normally have the angel grabbing abraham's hand this is a rembrandt look at this right here see the angel grabbing abraham's hand that's not what happens look at this next painting that's not what happens The angel calls out to Abraham. He doesn't grab his hand. But why do they paint it like that? Because that's what it feels like in the story. They're communicating the reality. The knife is coming down. He's going all the way. Now look what happens. Think about this. Look what happens after Abraham obeys, because this is what always happens after we obey God. God provides. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. What else does God do when we obey? He blesses. He provides, and he blesses. I will surely bless you, he says, and I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. Every one of these things God fulfilled. And through your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Now look how the story ends, okay, when when he does this. He went over then, took the ram, and sacrificed it, and look how it says it, as a burnt offering instead of his son. That word instead is so important. It's one of those, again, circle that word in your Bible because that is a crystal clear way to explain the gospel. If you ever struggle explaining it, just remember the word instead. Someone says to you, "I don't understand why Jesus, you know, had to die and why do we have to believe in Jesus?" The answer is because we all need him to pay for our sins instead of paying it for ourselves. That's the gospel. Because the scripture tells us you can't do good things to make up for past sins. Nobody's good enough. No one has ever been good enough except for Jesus. That's why we need Jesus. We need his righteousness and what he did. And when we accept that, that's what God says we have. Corinthians says that he made him who had no sin to be sin so that in him, listen to this, we would become the righteousness of God. We have the righteousness of God. Why? Because of Jesus. When you put your faith in Jesus, you have the righteousness of God. So Abraham called that place, listen, he called that place, the Lord will provide. That's a good name for that place. But this is crazy. And to this day, it is said, on that mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. What does it mean when it says that, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided? It means two things. This saying communicates a spiritual law that God will be faithful, that God can be trusted. When you and I bring the knife down, okay? When we go to the mountain, it's saying, and we bring the knife down in obedience, what God has called us to obey, God will faithfully bless and provide. So on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. When you obey, it will be provided. And second, it was literally on this mountain, Mount Moriah, that God provided the ultimate provision, the sacrifice of Jesus. The book of Chronicles tells us that. Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father David. Thinking about all this, thinking about how faith works, thinking about this example, thinking about the faithfulness of God, and how God can be trusted, thinking back in your own life on ways God has blessed when, when you obeyed. What, what is the text asking us then? It's asking us this. Is there a place in your life that God is telling you to bring down the knife in faith? That's what it's asking so that he can provide. Is there a place in your life where maybe you said to God, yes, but later? Is there a place in your life where God is calling you right now and it's a struggle and you feel uncertainty and you're scared to do it and you know how he's going to provide again for that sin? You don't know what he's going to do if you choose to obey him by by forgiving that person that you just feel like you can't do and by saying it out of your will. How is God going to working how is that? And you don't know. How is he going to provide for me if I cut this ungodly relationship off? How is he going to provide for me if I follow through with him, what he's calling me to do with my resources? How is he going to provide? And God is saying, I want you to trust me, because I am trustworthy. And you will see that I am trustworthy. And I want you to bring the knife down in obedience, and it will be provided. Now, here's the thing. God is faithful. He can be trusted. So, here's the question that's kind of important to kind of end with. Think about this. When you think about that question about bringing the knife of obedience down, ask this question. What would my life look like three months from now or six months from now if I did bring down the knife and obey God in that area? What would my life look like, as you imagine, three months from now, six months from now? And the answer is, don't you want to find out? (laughs) Don't you want to find out? Don't you want to trust God? Don't you want to see him provide? Don't you want to see him bless? He can be trusted. He's faithful. We're all testimonies of that. The scripture is testimony of that. And in three months from now and six months from now, you'll have a testimony. I brought the knife down in obedience and God provided. And it was provided. And God can be trusted. I want to end in prayer, but I want you to do this. Just do this real fast. Look at the person to your right and your left and, and kind of in front and behind. Go ahead and do that right now. Do that at all the campuses too. Look at the person to your right and your left. You know, you don't have to make awkward eye contact, okay? That's fine, okay? Don't worry about that. Got a picture in people's minds? okay. Now, listen, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray for each other. I just want to kind of want you to see the people around you, and I'm going to lead us in that prayer. So here we go. Here we go. Father, we come to you now. We give you thanks for your word. And we feel power in our lives from hearing your word and seeing the testimony of Abraham. And we know, we know in our minds, we know intellectually you can be trusted. We want to fully believe in our heart, Father. Now, right now, Father, we're. We're picturing the faces of the people around us, to the right, to the left. Some of them we know. Some of them, some of them are very close to us. Some of them we've never met before. We're picturing the people behind us, in front of us, and we pray for them right now. In your own mind, as you're listening to me, pray that the people around you, that God will give them the courage and the spirit to bring the knife down of obedience in their life so they can experience the provision of God. Let's pray that right now in your heart. Father, do that for the person to our left and to our right as we pray for each other. There's so much uncertainty, God. So many of these things are hard. So much enslavement to sin. It's not so easy for some of these things. Father, though you are trustworthy, we confess it We confess it. You are trustworthy. We believe it. Fill our hearts with that faith in the name of Jesus. And now, Father, we pray for our own lives. Give us that same courage and spirit. We want to truly believe in our heart the things that we know in our mind, that you are faithful, that you are trustworthy, that we don't have to be afraid. Many of us feel a lot of fear about different things. There's fear associated with our future, Father. There's fear associated with our past. And you, Lord, provide for our past. You've already done it through the sacrifice of Christ, and you have told us we can let that go if we're in Christ. And you've provided for our future because you've said, never will I leave nor forsake a son or daughter of mine. Father, help us truly, truly believe that in our heart. Help us bring the knife of obedience down and experience your provision. In the name of Jesus, amen.